Hey, everybody. Uh, this week's episode is a little bit different. I recently had the opportunity to do sit down with a graduate student, uh, Miss Natalia Porkova, who's a postgrad student at uh, University of Queensland in Australia. And uh, she's preparing a uh, journal article that she's writing about creativity and data visualization and reached out to me as one of her interviewees. So this week, rather than a typical Data Plus Love episode where uh, it's me sitting down and having a conversation with someone else, this is a uh, an interview between me and Miss Porkova. Um, hopefully you'll see some of the contents of this in her journal entry when it comes out. Um, but it was a, a fun conversation. Um, and really, we just take some time to sort of walk through some of my thoughts on data visualization, creativity, and sort of where that inspiration comes from, how to apply it, and uh, and the like. I hope it's not a total letdown as an episode. It's a little bit different. We'll be getting back to our normal format shortly. But, you know, it's the end of the summer. Stuff's a little crazy. And I thought uh, maybe this would be a sort of fun behind-the-scenes peek. So anyway, without further ado... finding time and I'm almost done with my interview. If you're interested in, I can a little to tell you about the research. Yes, just I completed um, it as a part of my thesis at the University of Queensland and received a highest grade. And now I'm completing additional interviews to transform it to academic publication. And thank you, it's almost my last one interview and would be so great to chat. Um, let me share, please, uh, with my PowerPoint slides in case we'll have some misunderstanding. Maybe it will support us a little bit, if that's okay. Sure. And if it's okay with you, uh, again, I'd love to have the like not the transcript, the audio of this, um, because I do a podcast, Data Plus Love, and I would love to, for this to be an episode. Yes, of course. Yes, I will send you an audio after. I will not keep it for myself. I just will keep transcription. I can send you audio and text. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so it's a very early morning for you, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's just 6 a.m. Yes, if you're interested, I can also send you my thesis. Maybe you can take something interesting from there, but it's huge anyway. <laughs> Up to you. Send me everything. I'd love to. Yeah, cool. Um, the interview will be non non-identifiable anyway this information i will ask you is just um it will be non-personal just some statistic to support reliability of my research findings but if you don't want to answer some of them just please tell me skip and we will skip it i will just make it bigger okay sure. uh, would you like to share your age please i'm 40 uh your degree um i have um an mis degree a bachelor's i also have uh, a marketing degree and an mba Wow. Uh, your current position? Uh, gosh, I guess I am a uh, BI specialist, I believe it's called. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, can you tell a little bit about your company size? How many employees work for your company? 91,000. Oh, wow. That's yeah, yeah, I work for Jones Lang LaSalle. They're global. Oh, thank you for sharing. And um, does your company have data visualization department in particular? 
Several. Um, our division particularly is embedded within a division called Work Dynamics, but we have our own um, minor BI pocket there of maybe 40 to 50 people. Oh, cool. And um, do, do um, they do or you do like the data visualization for in-house solutions or for clients? We do client work. There's another division that's part of IT itself, which does internal. Mm -hmm. So we, we do all sorts. Both. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing. And uh, the first question, uh, I'm collecting the individual understanding of creativity in data visualization. What data vis or what creativity means for you in data visualization? Sure. I guess it depends on the intent of the visualization and the audience. For me, audience is the starting point of everything. Mm -hmm. So if I'm creating something at work, my, my audience is obviously a pragmatic group that needs to take what I'm making and leverage that and use that to create an outcome. I'm trying to drive an outcome based on what I make. So creativity comes in in perhaps how I choose to visualize things or the levels of interactivity I bring to it. Because mm -hmm. I'm thinking, is this going to be something that's a sweet C-suite thing where they just kind of want to look at something? Or is this something for the people who are boots in the ground that are actually trying to sort of navigate through the data and are going to want to be able to filter different ways and sort of pivot the data. So a lot of that drives the creativity. If it's like a personal project, like I put online for fun, mm -hmm. then creativity opens you up to, you know, unorthodox chart types, uh, including some more editorial than you would, because obviously a personal project is usually data at rest, whereas a work product is data in motion. And with data in motion, you can't throw on your little commentaries because uh, the data is going to continue to change. But when you've created something that's a sort mm -hmm. of print product like you might find in a magazine or a blog then it's it's very easy to just comment on where things are right now yes thank you very much for a wide definition yes um for, for the rest of my research uh i just uh, limited a little bit or generalize it's better to say generalize it's uh if we can understand creativity as applying novel novel and useful ideas uh in the context to support users understanding and decision making and I think it's all about what you told this anyway. Yes, and um, uh, in that context, can we discuss what skills that the visualizer should have from your experience to support user understanding? That's a great question. So I think a lot of this, a lot of people, when they think of BI products, think about the technical skills. They're thinking, mm -hmm. are you fluent in Power BI or Tableau, or do you, can you use all tricks to create your data models and, and those sorts of things? And mm -hmm. obviously those things are, are important in order to be able to actualize your vision. But really the bigger question is, you know, the who is my audience? What is this data? And then my, my personal feeling about it is I'm trying to come between the data and the audience and whittle it down to be the most concise version of a message. So mm -hmm. whenever you're creating a BI tool, and we'll use dashboard for the sake of discussion, whenever you're creating a dashboard, that dashboard was commissioned around a certain idea. And uh, sometimes when you're given that idea, they give you very specific requirements. It's like, I would like a bar chart here that shows this. And then I would like a pie chart here that says that. And as the BI professional, your job is to often sort of come between them and what they've said and say, okay, I understand what you're saying. What I would like to know is what are you needing to understand? Because sometimes through your proficiency with the data, as well as your professional expertise, you may know a better way to express the idea of what they need 
than they mm-hmm. actually do. So if you're strictly an order taker and you just sort of receive the requirements and interpret the requirements exactly and hand them back, that's really an IT guy position where IT people, you know, receive requirements, create the thing based on the exact requirements and send it back. But as a BI professional, you need to be the advocate for both the data and the client. So you're an intermediary and you mm-hmm. need to be able to say, okay, I understand what you're saying. Here's what I think you're really needing based on what you say. Tell me if I'm wrong here. And sometimes you'll, you'll be wrong. Sometimes they'll say, no, I, I just really want that bar chart. And other times they're like, oh, you're right. That won't get me the answer I was looking for. I just thought that would be the, you know, the easier thing to do or, or what have you. So yeah, I mean, creativity uh, a lot of times comes in in a more pragmatic fashion where you're creative problem solving rather than strictly like creative chart types. Like a, a lot of times when we talk about creativity mm-hmm. and if you look at examples you find online, people rush to the exotic chart types. Uh, and that's definitely an example of creativity, but that's not necessarily the entire scope of it. So much of creativity can come down to the problem solving, planning and advocacy. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, if we will discuss about creative skills, um, how it might be developed. For example, some people people uh, might be creative, born creative. Some someone might develop. What is your experience opinion? Sure. So my creative skills. Um, I am a Tableau Zen master and ambassador. Mm-hmm. So I'm highly invested in the Tableau ecosystem. Those are like honorariums they give. I think there's about 47 Tableaus and masters in the world right now. So mm-hmm. they sort of elevate some of their power users in that way. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of creativity, I have a public portfolio of probably, mm-hmm. I think at this point, about 170 public data visualizations that I, I've done as passion projects, like on a whim. Like I'm not getting paid for this. It's not for work. I've mm-hmm. done these out of curiosity and sort of to practice my skill. And if you were to look at the progression through my portfolio, very early on, you would see my very first visualization is an M. Night Shyamalan one. And the mm-hmm. format of it and the idea behind it, and the way it's executed, looks very similar to the kind of business dashboards we were creating at my previous job around that time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know there was a venue for me to do public visualization. I had just sort of discovered public. So I had already been creating this as a sort of practice thing at work to sort of try out some new ideas. And then I discovered public and I put it out there. And I realized over time that data visualization didn't have to look like what I was seeing at work. And beyond that, that there was a much bigger sea of data visualization out there to see than what I was just seeing from my colleagues. So at the time I had a colleague, David, who I worked with very closely. We'd sat next to each other for about 10 years. So we each learned a ton back and forth across each other. But, you know, so much of our skills were still in a, in a bubble. And even though we were two of the biggest power users in the organization, we hadn't tapped into this greater pool of potential. And a lot of it was because we didn't realize it was there. So once I realized, oh, other people can publish stuff, I said, well, how do these people talk to each other? And I discovered, oh, these people are on Twitter primarily. So they're, they're on LinkedIn to a degree also, but they're on Twitter. And then I realized, oh, there's projects. There's projects mm-hmm. like Makeover Monday, where every Monday there's a public data set released. And the idea behind Makeover Monday is really brilliant because it's like, okay, everyone's starting off with the same data set and 99.9% of the users in this use doing this exercise are Tableau users, but you could use any tool. So then if everyone's using the same data set and I have the same tool, then at the end of the exercise, the idea is you take this data set, dedicate about an hour and create something. If I have the same tool, and the same data, and someone creates something better than mine, then I could do that too. 
So it's really great because it gives you the, oh, you know, here's this inspiration because you'll see 50 to 100 different things all created from the same data set you just did. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that trick. And oftentimes people will intentionally leave their workbooks so you can download them and look at them. So everyone says it's like a big knowledge share. And from there, it sort of became, okay, I started with that. And then I wanted to get more creative. It's amazing. Frankly, it was a, can I put clip art in here or can I use exotic colors? And that's sort of like the baby steps of creativity. Like oftentimes you'll find people that are maybe feeling bored or wanting to expand their, their realm will like, oh, what if I do like a bright blue background? Like, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to express themselves in some way, but don't know where to go with it. And I found that as I was doing, you know, the makeover Monday data sets, a lot of times I wasn't necessarily interested in the data source. And I mean, if you're doing a work project, that's one thing, right? Because at work, yes. you're not always necessarily going to like love the work orders project you're working on, right? Like you're invested in it. You want to do well. But if you're doing something for, for recreation and self-development, mm -hmm. you know, caring about it kind of matters. So I started looking for data sets that I was interested in. So I would go on like Kaggle or data.world and I would find like UFO sightings data sets or uh, the, the Lego colors data set or movies. I love movies. So lots of movie data sets from Rotten Tomatoes and other places. And as I started doing projects where I was personally invested in the data, my work product for my, my personal projects actually started to get more interesting. Now, if you look at my public portfolio, you'll see mm -hmm. I don't actually use a ton of exotic chart types at all. Like, in fact, that's kind of a point of pride. Most things you can find in my public portfolio, I say anyone can do this. It just so happens that I'm the one that did it. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of them will be bar chart based. Like I even do pie charts sometimes, even though a lot of people loathe them. But I will try like a different approach to pie charts. But a lot of my ideas come from a place of, okay, I would like to explore the idea of time travel. How do I visualize the concept of time travel, right? Because like uh, I, I did Back to the Future, for example, and in that movie, Marty McFly, you know, goes to the past and he goes to the future and that's time travel, but he's also aging. So that's a different kind of time travel. So he's actually moving linear in terms of his personal age and he's sort of zigzagging throughout yeah. time. So it's almost like he's traveling like to a location rather than like a time because he's still, you know, Marty's yeah. still like three days older at the end of this, even though he went back in time and forward again. So, you know, thinking about the ideas behind stuff differently and then maybe still using a standard chart to express it. Thank you very much, Paul. It's so impressive. You have 147 um, projects in your portfolio. If you if you can share, I would like to have a look. Yes. How long does it take to build such, such impressive portfolio when you started? Um, <laughs> a couple of years. So... I'm, I'm, I'm minimizing. So maybe three or four years. Last year alone, I probably made at least one a week. Um, wow. So, you know, you sort of go through phases where some of my passion projects you'll see on there might have taken an hour, like a Makeover Monday project. Mm -hmm. Some of them, uh, I did one last year called CMYK, which was for the uh, Iron Biz competition. I put 35 hours into that. It's the most I've ever put into a personal project. That's a long time. Now, a lot of yes. them, like, if you look at my more recent stuff, I've actually created um, a template I use called the data dump, which kind of looks like a zine. Mm -hmm. And that was a creative exercise for myself where I'm like, okay, a lot of times I, I would like to explore an idea, but I don't want to have to sort of come up with a whole sort of creative backdrop around it. I don't want to have to think about all the colors I might use, all the fonts I might pick, that what the title's going to look like and where I'll put it. So if I constrain myself by, by making a template where this is always going to be a title, there's always going to be a panel on the left for descriptions. 
And there's only really space for about two or three charts tops. And by doing that, it, it was a really creatively liberating because now I could explore small ideas quickly without mm-hmm. having to sort of reinvent the wheel. So I did uh, the Boston Molassacre, which was back in the 1800s or maybe nine, early 1900s, mm-hmm. a giant vat of molasses exploded in Boston and like flooded like, you know, square blocks. So like a 30 foot tidal wave of molasses flowed through. So all the different data I could could put in there about like, this is how high molasses is compared to your house. And this is how much faster it goes than you could run and those sort of things. So doing small charts and being able to explore that instead of feeling like, well, I'm starting with a total blank slate. Where do I go from here? Yes. Thank you very much. for so like it's very uh, impressive experience. Thank you. And uh, you already told that, that you are you have more creativity in your personal projects. Uh, but then you, if we can discuss what else, um, why sometimes your projects more creative and sometimes less. We will discuss about obstacles which block your creativity and motivation to be more creative. Sure. I think um, one big thing that I sort of advocate, advocate for data viz uh, professionals and just people that are interested in in general is to not draw all your inspiration from other data visualization mm-hmm. because data visualization is obviously sort of a medium. It's not a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I would use comic books as an example. If you mention comic books to people, the first thing that comes to their head is superheroes. Um, but really like comic books are a very diverse medium. There's lots of biography, you know, there's horror, there's crime, you know, all these different genres are, are really, you know, have rich histories, but the one that really sort of caught hold in America and sort of continued, uh, to, to be a multi-billion dollar franchise now is the idea of the superhero. But if you think about data visualization in the same way, it's like data viz does not have to be a genre. When people hear data visualization, they often think of the business dashboard, right? Mm -hmm. So you sort of got a, a format that's usually, you know, one screen friendly, or maybe you could, you know, scroll through it a little bit and you've got a series of charts and, you know, they're going to look pretty similar. You might see uh, some pie charts and bar charts and line charts. And if they're feeling like really crazy, they'll do a donut chart instead of a pie Mm -hmm. chart. And that's the same thing. Um, But it's data visualization can be so many different things. So many of my personal projects that you'll see are one chart visualizations where I'm trying to explore an idea very succinctly. So rather than sort of having you walk through a process, I'm trying to say, okay, here's a message that I can show you with this single chart. I'm trying to practice um, the opposite of what I did early on. So early in sort of my personal development. And uh, so it's, re- it's much easier, obviously, to reference my my public work than my professional work, because I can't show you my professional work. But if you look at my public work, you'll see a lot of stuff on a page. And so much of that comes down to the idea of sometimes you don't know what you're trying to say. So you're trying to show everything and hoping that someone else will look at it and figure out what it means. And other times you're trying to say, here's all the stuff I can do. Look at all the stuff I can do. Um, But as you sort of develop a professional maturity and sort of develop your own personal voice, you'll realize maybe that's not what I need to do. Maybe less is more. Maybe I need to sort of, like I said, come between the data and the user and say, okay, I'm going to tell you a particular thing out of this. A lot of times people talk about data storytelling. It's sort of a term that's been beaten to death. Um, And it's, it's, I feel like it's often misused to say, I look at this dashboard, where's the storytelling? And, you know, the business dashboards aren't, aren't storybooks, you know, they're, they're meant to, each one is designed for a specific intent and purpose, and they're not really going to be able to 
tell you the story. They'll help you walk down the path. But you know, mm-hmm. with a um, a more static, you know, data visualization, you are able to tell a story. And you know, words can be part of that story as well. We think charts are the the only way to get stuff done. But you know, there's a reason we have keys and headers and you know, even text mm-hmm. boxes to throw on there to to bring richness and description to things. Thank you very much. Um, what What is the main obstacles to be created? For example, you do something ordinary. Is it for work maybe? Or what is your main limits? <laughs> sure. I mean, I think uh, I'm going to go back to this, but I think audience sometimes can be a hindrance, like depending on who you're wanting to communicate to. You have mm-hmm. to make sure that you're at their level or at the very least okay. are giving them a means to get to what you're trying mm-hmm. to display. So for example, my dad, um, my dad kind of grasps what I do. Um, mm-hmm. My mom's like a big fan and she looks at everything, but mm-hmm. my dad likes to send me articles he's seen with different bad data visualizations because yeah. he may not know what a good one looks like, but he definitely knows what a bad one looks like. Mm-hmm. So he'll send me uh, he'll have his copy of auto trader and he'll show me a crazy decision tree that they've made. And it's a lot of times, I think it comes down to when you see something that's bad, it's maybe someone that's in a graphics department doing mm-hmm. a data thing versus someone that's in a data role. But uh, he sent me one today, and it's from the Washington Post, mm-hmm. and it was representing uh, police shootings over the past maybe 10 years or something. And the way yeah. it's done, it's a highlight chart. So, you know, it's using color as a weight indicator for mm-hmm. more police mm-hmm. shootings versus less. But the way that it's done it is it's a outward going spiral with the mm-hmm. innermost day being at the very center, and it's spiraling outward and outward and outward over the course of, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe eight years. Um, to to get to the present, which is the outermost layer. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at this saying, I don't get this at all. Is this something that data people get? And I looked at him and said, you know, no, dad, because this doesn't help clearly tell you what's going on. It's yeah. something that data people do when they're feeling bored or would like to show off to a friend. It's mm-hmm. um, sometimes you're wanting to demonstrate more that you have the capability to do something than to actually get the message across. It's like preaching to the choir. You know, you're, you're, you're messaging to other data people saying, hey, look at the fun thing I made. And oftentimes mm-hmm. they'll be excited more from the technical aspect. Like, hey, I didn't know, you, I didn't know we could do that. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. But really looking at this chart, if they could have done a series of line charts that would have made it clearer, like which years were higher, mm-hmm. what, where the seasonality mm-hmm. was. They could have done a standard heat map going across with, you know, year and month. And it would have, mm-hmm. you know, popped out the months that were, were heavier. But, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, they chose, you know, sort of an exotic example that was more of a flex of like, look what I can do versus look what I can communicate to you. And I think that that one of the obstacles is, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, is ego. Like, you're more mm-hmm. interested in what your idea is than will this actually make an impact with my audience? And also, who's the audience? Yes, thank you very much for pointing that important moment. Yes, my last question uh, is, uh, you already partly shared some, um, your opinion about this, uh, the environment that supports creativity um, of data visualizers or maybe blocked. Uh, it's uh, maybe a group of people, like you already mentioned it, Monday make a uh, group you work for or something else maybe from your experience. That's an interesting question. Um, and at my job, we actually have a sort of, uh, we have a viz standards. So, uh, there's like, I, I consider them like the bumper, uh, rails to keep you from flying off. And it's particularly useful for, for sort of newer or less experienced analysts to make sure that they're not making common mistakes. 
Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that, you know, by, by having some sort of formatting guidelines, you're not putting too much on a page at once. You're allowing white space. White mm -hmm. space is one of the most important things you could possibly have data visualization because, mm -hmm. um, if you've ever, um, Edward Tufte is, is the godfather of data business. He's cool. he is, one of the things, yeah, he, he loves to talk about, uh, one of his, his latest things is he talks about screen resolution and with screen resolution, mm -hmm. we're going to have so much more on screen at one time. And, uh, that's not a good thing, actually. Like the more we put on a screen at once, the less every single component matters. And, and the temptation is because we, as the developer and the analyst have kind of mm -hmm. unlimited space. It's kind of like godlike power to say, you know, I could put 10 different metrics on this page. Like I can do that. Like I can make it work, but, mm -hmm. but once someone else has to interact with it, you know, these 10 metrics are really, you know, an overwhelming amount of information at once. And especially if there's not context and sort of flow to it, to guide you from one to the next, uh, you could very easily say nothing than say everything which is why it's so important to sort of have some of those standards. So going back to the idea of these VIS standards that we practice in my job, you know, among these are, you know, spacing, having a sort of standardized size, um, having, you know, choosing this size font for your headers and stuff like that. Some of it feels, you know, sort of more locked down than others. Right. And then even like having a specific color set, like we don't use red unless red's an alert color, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. in a previous life um, at a different, at a different uh, job, uh, I was asked if I could sort of help out a junior uh, analyst in a different division who was sort of, you know, coming along. Uh, mm -hmm. I was hearing so much that uh, the senior leadership in that area really loved what he was doing. They're really excited by it. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm looking forward to working with this person and seeing their stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, they showed me the dashboard that they were, they were so very proud of. And I mean, they're, they're a newer developer. It's like they should be proud. They're, they've been working hard. Um, and the dashboard that their senior leadership loved was a tabular view that scrolled mm -hmm. both vertically and horizontally. So it didn't fit, all fit on one page. It was basically like a recreation of Excel. So, you know, you could scroll like, you know, 200, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. panels in one direction and then like 10,000 down. Uh, mm -hmm. And the, the real thing where this, this developer was clearly trying to sort of express their creativity, where they're sort of clearly feeling penned in was they took one of the company colors, which uh, my company, my previous company didn't officially have a company color on their logo. They have like a red yes, burgundy. Yes. And then occasionally they would uh, seasonally use like a neon green. He took the red burgundy and made that the background. Mm. So as soon as I opened up this dashboard and looked at it, um, I, I was, I'm, I'm always very uh, gentle when I talk to people because I know no one ever means to make something bad. But I'm, I'm trying to coach gently and say, I, I definitely see where you're doing uh, going with the company color and trying to be enthusiastic about this. Mm -hmm. But what you've uh, accidentally done is you've made the background more important than the data. So it's uh, it's like on MasterChef or something where uh, they, they ask you to cook a, sh a chicken dish. And mm -hmm. in the creation of your chicken dish, you made the, the pasta side more important than the chicken. And that's exactly what had been done here. And that's what having some sort of guide rails can be useful for. And in many ways, having never had those kind of guide rails when I worked at that previous job and coming to an environment that did, my first concern would be that I was going to be stifled by it and feel like limited. Um, and actually what it did was much like what I've done with the data dump and sort of creating a template for myself by adding limitations, I actually made myself more creative in how I tackled my problems. So um, 
there there was no this chart type is tab like taboo or anything like that. The, the the guidelines don't include anything like that. It's really much like I was saying, like a guide rail to both make sure you don't make any choices that are sort of so out of the box that they don't work, but also to try to create some kind of visual standard because especially for um lay people interacting with your visualizations having a feeling of continuity can be very useful even if it's just like hey all of these have the same header on top they've all got like a little menu i can click to show my filters like so that they're not having to relearn the wheel every time can be a big a big favor in terms of adoption because you're having to sell every new bi product you make even if it's an internal customer you're having to say hey you want to use this and here's why like even if you're not literally selling it like you should pay for this like you you want to make something that's useful and something that delivers value and you can make something that delivers value and is good but has no customers using it if you don't properly sort of sell it and and advocate for why it's good and sort of it, it create enthusiasm around it yeah <laughs> thank you very much for um so many insights and uh, it was my last question it was a great great pleasure thank you for sharing your experience and finding time Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks for your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network. <laughs>